Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. Today we're discussing three unsolved cold cases. Let's get into it. Number 1. Amber Hagerman On January 13, 1996, in Arlington, Texas, Amber Hagerman was riding her new pink and white bicycle that she'd just gotten for Christmas. In the parking lot of an abandoned Winn-Dixie grocery store, the 9-year-old Girl Scout was with her 5-year-old little brother, Ricky. They were playing down the road from their grandmother's house when apparently Ricky remembered they were only supposed to go around the block and headed back home. Amber stayed and continued to play around the parking lot. It was a Saturday, and they were at their grandparents' that day because their mother was being interviewed for a local news special about families that successfully got off welfare and rejoined the workforce. Amber and Ricky left their grandparents' home around 3.10 p.m., with Ricky returning shortly after without his sister. Families soon went looking for Amber, and when they arrived at the parking lot, they saw a handful of police officers surrounding Amber's bike. They were told that someone in the community saw something and that Amber had been abducted. A witness and retired police officer Jim Cavill, 78 at the time, said he saw Amber riding alone when he saw a black pickup truck and, quote, He pulled up, jumped out, and grabbed her. When she screamed, I figured the police ought to know about it, so I called them. Jim gave a description of the abductor. He said that it was a man, Caucasian or Hispanic, in his 20s or 30s, shorter than six feet, medium build with dark hair. He was driving a black pickup truck with no markings or chrome and seemed to be in clean working condition. He noted the time of the abduction was 3.18 p.m. and Amber had only been alone for a few minutes. Law enforcement, the FBI, and locals began a massive search for Amber and her abduction made national news. But despite the nationwide attention, no other witnesses ever came forward to identify the man or the vehicle. Four days later, a man was walking his dog when he saw something in a creek. When he looked closer, he found a body lying face down in the water. Police arrived at the scene, and the body was identified as the missing nine-year-old Amber Hagerman. Amber's body was found less than four miles from where she was abducted. She was found completely naked except for a sock on her left foot, and her throat had been cut. Police believe that she was washed down the creek as there had been considerable rainfall the night before she was discovered. Police work hard to find anything on Amber's murder, but there was little evidence. It was later discovered that she had been alive for at least two days after her abduction, making police believe that someone might have seen something. Also, due to the circumstances of the abduction, They believe that Amber was targeted and may have been stalked prior to her being taken. Since Amber's death, law enforcement has followed over 7,000 possible leads. 
There was a laundromat next to the abandoned grocery store where Amber was abducted. Authorities know that this area had many Hispanic people who may have felt uncomfortable talking to police at the time. Police have said in more recent press releases that they do not care about legal status and they just want any information on Amber and that it might be given anonymously and urge anyone with information to come forward. They want justice for her family. In a 2021 press conference, it was released after all this time that they did have one piece of evidence with DNA. Police have stated that they would not reveal the evidence as only the killer would know. They had planned to test the evidence through more modern means later that year. Donna Williams, Amber's mother, said, quote, To Amber's killer, I'm asking you today, please turn yourself in. Give Amber justice. Amber needs justice deeply. It's an emotional day for Donna Williams. She's back at the same place where 25 years ago her little girl was taken. Her last words that I heard from her is, Okay, Mommy, I will. I love you, Mommy. And that was the last I ever heard her, and I miss her voice. While the years have gone by for Donna, it feels like yesterday. I remember everything about her. There's nothing I don't I have forgotten about her. She is the love of my life. It has been over 25 years since Amber was murdered. Police have never stopped looking for her killer, and she has had a significant impact not only on Arlington, but across the country. Amber's case was what inspired the Amber Alert system, which was suggested by a local woman, Diane Simone. She wanted to help in search efforts, but didn't know how to best assist. She had an idea to utilize radio station and news broadcasting to amplify missing or abducted children cases, using the existing systems that were used to alert to weather warnings or civil defense alerts. It has been called several names in honor of other missing children in other states, but is now called the Amber Alert System nationally and even internationally with other countries adopting the system. In the U.S., the Amber Alert has saved over 1,114 children. Number 2. Little Miss Jane Doe slash St. Louis Jane Doe On February 28, 1983, two men entered an abandoned apartment building on Clemens Avenue in St. Louis, Missouri, scavenging for copper pipe or looking for something to fix their car. That detail is mixed. They looked around the house and then went down to the basement. When they got to the basement, they couldn't see anything, so one of the men lit a cigarette, and when he did, he saw something in the shadows. When the men looked closer, they found a child's body lying on her stomach, and the men called the police. When law enforcement arrived, they found the body of an African-American girl naked from the waist down, wearing a yellow v-neck long-sleeve sweater. She had been restrained behind the back with a red and white nylon rope. She had red nail polish on all her fingernails. The body had been decapitated, and the head was missing. After the autopsy, the medical examiner determined the girl to be between the ages of 8 and 11. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled before she had been decapitated, she had been well-nourished with no signs of previous abuse, but her stomach was empty at the time of death. They took a mold sample of her body in the area and determined the girl had been killed three to five days before her body was discovered. Authorities and first responders searched a 16-mile radius of the surrounding area in sewers and dumpsters anywhere they could think of, but they never located the skull. Very little blood was found at the scene, so investigators believed that she was killed at another location and dumped at the apartment building. 
Investigators looked into local and national databases for any missing children fitting Jane Doe's description. They looked into school records for absent children. Within the next seven months, they claimed to have accounted for every African-American girl between the ages of 8 and 11 enrolled in school. It was then believed that she may have been from a different area. There were never any witnesses, and the police found no other evidence. They never identified little Jane Doe. Her case went cold. Captain Leroy Adkins, in a community meeting in 1983, said, quote, Somebody out there knows something, and talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends. Somewhere out there is a mother without a little girl, a brother without a sister, a neighbor without a little girl running up and down the street. Nine months after little Jane Doe was discovered, they gave her a funeral. The people that attended were predominantly detectives, reporters, and Reverend John W. Haywood presided over the service. She was buried in a white coffin in the Washington Park Cemetery in December 1983. Over the years, they have looked into many leads on this case, including sending the sweater to a psychic in Florida who wanted to touch the piece of clothing to see what they could discern from it, but the police never got the sweater back, and the psychic said that the sweater got lost in the mail. They also talked to a convicted murderer on death row in 2005, who had a similar M.O., Vernon Brown. He had strangled other young girls in the 1980s, but he did not speak to detectives when interviewed, and his capital sentence went forward in May 2005. In 2009, police tried to exhume the body in hopes of running new tests to help identify the girl. They discovered she was not in the listed location where they went to find her. Instead, they found three other bodies. The Washington Park Cemetery had been neglected for years. Finally, with Washington University's help, they exhumed little Jane Doe's body in 2013. Tests were conducted by the Smithsonian Institution and the University of North Texas. They took DNA and bone samples from an isotope test they were able to determine that she had lived most of her life in a southeastern state. On February 8, 2014, she was reburied following an hour-long ceremony. Many people attended, and she was buried in Cavalry Cemetery in St. Louis. Her grave marker identifies her as Hope. A former detective for the case, Joe Burgoon, said, quote, Back then, I thought this would be an easy case to crack. We'd find out who the girl was and would lead us to the killer. The St. Louis City Cold Case Unit formed in 2019 and has a room dedicated to the case of little Jane Doe. They have never given up hope on identifying her. Jane Doe, 1983, as she is identified on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's website, said she is the only case with no photo or facial reconstruction. There's only a picture of the sweater. The St. Louis Police Department is still looking for any information. Little Jane Doe grew up in southeast United States. She was approximately 4 foot 10 to 5 foot 2 between the ages of 8 and 11. She would have gone missing sometime in 1983. She had no distinctive marks or previous injuries. There are hopes that in identifying her, they will be closer to solving her murder. Number 3. Caitlin Dennison In January 2018, 19-year-old Caitlin Dennison was living in Reno, Nevada, when she abruptly told her family that she was flying to Texas to be with an unknown man. The two had met six months prior in Reno, and when he had to fly back to Texas after six months, she decided to go with him. 
On January 10th, 2018, Caitlin's sister, Rachel Dennison, received what would be the last time she heard her voice. Caitlin had called from a Walmart in Midland, Texas. On the call to her sister, she said that she wanted to come home and that this guy makes me scared for my life. She abruptly ended the call as the man approached. Caitlin sent her sister a pin of her location right after the phone call had ended. No one heard from Caitlin again. Rachel went to the police and reported her sister missing the next day. Law enforcement have said they got positive sightings of Caitlin that day at the Walmart she called from and Rick's Cabaret in Odessa, Texas. Caitlin was last seen wearing a fur vest over a black shirt, black leggings with braiding down the sides of the legs, and furry boots. A witness has come forward saying that they gave her a ride to her boyfriend's house, which was another confirmed sighting of Caitlin. Police have interviewed the unknown man. The information the man gave her that has been released is that Caitlin has been looking for work and had been having a hard time because of her noticeable arm scars. Police have interviewed the unknown man. He has been identified, but that information has been limited on what's been released to the public. The information we have is that he said that Caitlin had been looking for work and been having a hard time because she had noticeable arm scars. One day, he came home and she and all of her stuff were just gone. When police went to interview this man again, he was nowhere to be found and has yet to be found. In August 2018, Rachel saw news coverage of a ring doorbell of a woman in a t-shirt and arm restraints, and she thought it could have been Caitlin as she had the same build and bone structure. However, that woman was later identified and was not Caitlin. In this case, very little information has been released to the public by police or covered in the media. But in 2021, a YouTuber, Kendall Ray, released a video giving some more light on the case, causing a new detective to reopen the investigation. Midland Police Detective Jenny Alonzo said, quote, The case came back to light in November of 2021 because a YouTuber had put her case online, and so it came back to our knowledge that she was still missing. I took on this case and I believe that there are other avenues of approach that we didn't do back in 2018 that we could do more follow-ups on. In a statement to the media, Rachel Dennison said, quote, I am just really thankful we are finally able to communicate with someone who wants to listen to us and keep us in the loop and do everything they can and are still willing to retrace steps that we thought were missed. It has been almost five years since Caitlin went missing. Her sister Rachel has never stopped the fight to look for her sister. They have an active Facebook page called Find Caitlin Dennison and a GoFundMe in the hopes of getting a private investigator and flights to go down to Texas. Police have given very little information to the family about what has been done to look for her. To this day, they still don't know the name of the man that she went to meet. Caitlin Dennison would be 23 years old today. At the time of her disappearance, she was 5'4", 120 pounds with blonde hair and blue eyes. She has an alien head, an M tattoo on her left knuckle, a Libra scale tattoo on her right arm, two piercings on her nose on both sides, a bottom lip piercing, a tongue piercing, and a Medusa piercing. She also has scars on her arms and legs. Caitlin's family and Texas Rangers have been working to find answers to her disappearance and are asking for the public's help. If you may have seen Caitlin or know of her whereabouts or who she may have been with, please contact law enforcement. Well, folks, we've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. 
Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.